cool. Oh, she's so American. Um, okay, hi everyone. Um, this is the first um, online event that I'm doing as part of my hurdling Substack. Obviously, all of you are here because you are hurdling subscribers, and I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Um, as you know, hurdling is all about celebrating and talking about the actual finer details of how we overcome various different obstacles in our lives and careers and everything. So, this chat is exactly about that but it's part of the club copycana part of my hurdling newsletter because I realized that I am getting a lot of questions about copy and like how I am where I am and how people are doing what they're doing and I just thought maybe there just needs to be somewhere that exists where actually I could be a bit more useful than just scattily replying to some LinkedIn messages when I have time um and Obviously, I asked Vicky to be my first guest because number one, she's amazing, and number two, because we all love her. But we, I thought that it would be great to kick this off with the thing that I know the most, which is writing about copy. And Vicky and I decided that there's been a load of things that we've been talking about recently that we thought might be useful to share with other people as well. So basically, we're going to be chatting about all things copy, what it is to be a person who obsesses about words all the time, all things mentoring and the hurdles that we've both faced in our creative careers. So for anyone who happens to be on this chat who doesn't know who Vicky is, I'm going to read the blurb that I wrote about her. Um, Vicky Ross is a star copywriter who tells brands how to talk and shows ad agencies how to write. She has worked with the likes of Sky, Now TV, Sony Music, Twitter, Spotify, Adidas, ITV, to name but a few. Vicky is also a Dino D masterclass trainer and mentor, and she is the founder of Copywriters Unite, which is a co community that you guys probably know about, turned global in real life event that supports, motivates, and celebrates the world of copy and words now all over the world, which is amazing. And for anybody who doesn't know who I am, I'm a much less exciting person, but I know exciting people, which is nice. I am a writer and creative leader and brand consultant to startups and scale ups. I've told stories and had ideas for brands like Tony Chocolonely, Tales.com, Freddy's Flowers, Skin and Me, Lick, Harry's, and a couple more as well. And I write for a few magazines and I also write Hurdling, which is the subsect that you guys are here for today. So Vicky is here at Club Copy Corner. I hope everyone has a drink as well. I have wine and I think Vicky does too. Um, because we're gonna die. Oh, you're not. Oh my god, this was the number one rule that we were gonna. I know, but I took Sudafed instead. Does that? Can I? Can I? Yeah. And can I just say, sorry, you were in such a flow, but can I? You, you're an idiot. Like, what are you? <laughs> what are you saying? You're watching face less... go. Much less yeah. interesting is rubbish. Um, you're much more interested than I am. Oh, You've got I much more fun jobs, and you're much funnier than I am, and you work harder than me. So shush. I don't think that's true. Um, and anyway, this is my Zoom, so you don't get to tell me off. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's, I think what would be actually really useful for everyone is if we actually tell people how we even know each other in the first place, how we met, because it is quite funny. It's quite a funny story. I think we've now known each other for eight years, seven years, eight years. And I'm going to tell you a vision of how we met first, and then you could correct me, like when married couples are like, this is how we met. And they're like, actually, that's not true. Um, so my version of events is that I came to one of your DNAD masterclasses at Old Truman Brewery. And I think it was like 
30 quid a ticket. It was like an after work thing. I like didn't know how to become a copywriter, even though I was writing loads of copy full time anyway. And I worked for somebody who wouldn't let me be a copywriter. And at the end of the workshop, which was amazing, I think I was helping you clear up pizza boxes or something because I think you'd got pizza for everyone. And I was probably trying to get extra crusts at the end. And at the end, I just was like, hey, can I ask you a question? And then talked at like 50 million miles an hour about what was going on, what I was doing. I was like, oh, I think I'm a copywriter, but I don't really know at all. Nightmare. And I asked you if you mentored people and you were like, yeah, but I'm like busy and I don't have any space. And I mentor people through she says is she she says she the she says who's your mama mental scheme but you don't have any spaces and you said take my email anyway send me an email and if anything pops up I'll let you know and then you did and then we went on our first mentor date where you took me to tonight Josephine in Waterloo opposite the station because you said they've got such good copy on all their menus and then we got there and it was like a fully fledged night out is that your vision of events as well pretty much um yeah the the bit where you came up to me at the end of the um the class I you know it like I'm not a natural presenter. It's quite tiring. It takes a lot out of me. And um, I was ready to go. And you you talked at me very quickly. You had a lot to say. And I, re I did want to help you. But I was also thinking about, like, I just don't have capacity. And I don't want to say yes to something that I can't commit to. But also, I'm a massive sucker for hungry wannabe copywriters or, or hungry copywriters any like aspiring or not um because I really love my job and I want everyone else who wants a job like this to get one and love it too and you weren't happy where you were at the time so yeah I couldn't say no to you tonight Josephine <laughs> yes I did say let's meet there because I thought it was going to be like a really cool wordy place for us to hang out because I'd seen on their website just all that like a really great fun cool tone of voice I realize at 46 years old to say cool about a bar is probably not that cool but anyway I, I had no idea you were definitely sucked in because they had these amazing like quotes and Josephine was Napoleon's wife right and there was all these was like, just, amazing things. It's very cool. Yeah, it just seemed like the perfect place for two copywriters to hang out and get to know each other. If anyone doesn't know, tonight Josephine is an absolute dive bar opposite the station, like Emily said, in Waterloo. Um, it attracts a certain kind of crowd and there is happy hour that lasts far longer than an hour and we went basically as happy hour was starting and I was sat there like a nerd with my notebook and pen ready for when Emily turned up so that I could be all like official and take notes and you know help her out and uh I think it was a case of if you can't beat them join them in the end wasn't it it was and it was a shame because we were the only people not wearing bodycon dresses which was such a <laughs> like a massive loss for everyone else but we did join people and we did spend a lot of money on cocktails and then yeah I think at the end of that because you agreed we agreed that we'd do like six month trial of like either a meeting or a phone call once a month for an hour 
because it got out of hand the first time and it was like okay this is what we'll do like yes we get on yes you felt like you could help me and I was like yes I'm keen to be helped and absorb and learn things and yeah and then we did that for six months and you helped me figure out what I wanted to do next I think it's quite useful to share actually for for our listeners um I was working as a social media editor at the time and within like I don't know like a day of doing that job in the interview where I'd been like yeah I'm very numbers proficient actually I'm very at home in a spreadsheet that was a lie and I think that became apparent to everyone within like two days of me doing that job and I think after like two years of being there doing social being a creative being part of the creative team but so clearly just being a copywriter and not interested in any analytics whatsoever um oh there's somebody at my door well, that's not getting answered um <laughs> that's definitely not getting answered I don't know who that is um I really wanted to be a copywriter and I was working for a person who said that I couldn't be one and she was like you're no writer and I basically went to Vicky to be like I have a very specific problem I think I'm a copywriter I feel like my job every day is a copywriter but I really want it to be my job title which sounds kind of shallow actually but it's not because it when it it's when if it's what you want to do and you want to be and someone's telling you that you can't be it it's really hard and it makes you feel like shit um and then from there I was like I don't know how to do this I don't know how to convince this woman that I'm a copywriter and there was no chance of doing it and I can remember you saying to me did I want to go and be a copywriter anyway or did I have to be a copywriter at the place that I was working and I was like no I don't want to leave this is everything this place is everything I love it so much just worth sharing that I did meet my husband there most of my friends in my London life are also there it was a very special place to work but you helped me to craft like emails and put together a case to be like this is why I believe I'm a copywriter and it was basically a case of her saying yes or no and I can remember having that meeting with her where she was like oh really in what world do you think you're a writer and like leaving it in like horrific tears so distraught and calling you and you were like okay I'm going to ask you this question again do you have to be a copywriter just there or can you be a copywriter anywhere and I was like I want to be a copywriter and I if I can't do it here I'll do it anywhere and you were like okay and I think you'd waited for me to come to that conclusion myself for ages I think you knew it was never going to happen but yeah anyway so yeah that, I um, think you had to work it out for yourself but I fed it to you because from it's very easy for I mean everyone will know this that when you look in on somebody from the outside you can see something that they can't quite see yet the the best bit of the whole thing for me and not to give too much away and this is really frivolous by the way in case anyone thinks I'm coming up with some massive insight was that Emily kept comparing her situation with um being Andy (laughs) in (laughs) The Devil Wears Prada and we both love that film and it as she kept saying her boss's name which is the same name as Meryl Streep's character. Am I saying too much? <laughs> She's not here. She's not a subscriber to my newsletter. It's fine. Okay. But um, yeah, which is the same name as Meryl Streep's character in The Devil Wears Prada. And it took me ages, because I'm quite slow, to catch on that it really was her name. And Emily was Emily, who's Emily in Devil Wears Prada. It was just a brilliant, um, entertaining bit to go along with all the drama that, that we uh, were facing 
it was yeah I know I remember I knew that you were gonna say that before you even said it it was so true and now there are times when Vicky will only communicate with me via Meryl Streep gifts which is which is fine and that's great and we do that yeah. I said you were Emily one earlier it was perfect um yeah. I think so one of the things that we wanted to talk to uh, what do we want to talk about today was mentoring and I think that's something I know you and I have spoken about this a lot a lot a lot a lot over the years and I think that at the moment it's a really tough market right now and people are like trying to find jobs and they're like figuring out what to do next and I think post lockdown people have gone oh I've figured out what makes me happy and I think I deserve it so I'm going to go and get it but it's not easy to just go and get it so I think people are looking for more mentors and guidance and support and answers to questions and I think that something that I think a lot of people would benefit from is understanding just I think we've got a really useful case study of it from our mental relationship but to understand what it is not only to be a good mentor but also what it is to be a good mentee because I think that you see a lot of mentorship situations where people go to a mentor to be like oh hi can, can you tell me what to do or can you give me another job I get messages I've started mentoring people now um which is great and I find it so amazing and rewarding but I also get people who message me on LinkedIn and they say hi could I have a job at Tony's and I'm like oh uh it kind of I kind of can't do that that's kind of not how this works so I thought that it'd be really useful to hear from you as somebody who has mentored a lot more people than I have what in your view do you think makes a really good mentor and also what makes a really good mentee um so I never like set out to be a mentor and I didn't take any lessons in it. <laughs> um, I think I just wanted to help people who want help. And if I can do anything that can benefit from um, somebody, then, then I will, like I will, I'm very open. I'm very honest. I will offer up as much time as necessary and I will um, share contacts or um, make introductions. But, I think what people don't realize out of mentoring is that I benefit too. Like it's not, it's not totally one-sided. Like I'm learning from whoever I'm mentoring. It's a, it's a discipline that I am finding my way into. Um, you know, what you said about how I fed you, um, the idea of leaving where you were before, uh, sorry, when we met, that was just something that, I, I, you know, no one told me to do that. I just thought you can't tell people what to do. They have to make up their own minds. But if I can sort of guide them in the, that direction, I mean, I will only ever, Carolyn on the call, she'll say as well, I will only ever be honest and tell you what I think you should do. But at the end of the day, you have to do what you feel is right in your gut. Mm. Um, and I'll tell you if I don't agree as well. I think you would, um, you would say I'm, I'm very honest about that. Don't feel like I'm answering this question very well. Um, but generally, I think if I propose an idea to you or suggest to you, to anyone I'm mentoring, um, or suggest something to read or to watch or to write, um, I'd quite like to see it done. <laughs> um, there are a number of people that do contact me and ask me for help and advice. And I say things like, it, you know, it takes work. It takes work to get to where I am it takes work to get to a job that 
you want. Um, things don't fall in people's laps. People aren't lying awake at night wondering about you and your life and could they offer you a job like you have to tell people that you exist and you have to work at being worthy of their time and it's amazing how many people aren't willing to put that work in and then that's where I struggle because I can't do that for you a mentor is a guide not a uh I, I can't think of a word a doer <laughs> um yeah I can't do it for you and then the flip of that is um no hold on what is the flip of that you asked me a two-part I'm terrible with two-part <laughs> questions I never remember the second bit well you did them in the same way it's fine one was oh, okay be a good mentor and what makes a good mentee I feel like you have answered that unless you want to build okay on. but over years of experience you can kind of tell who's going to be a good mentee I hate that word by the way it's so oh, rubbish I, know, and I think it makes me think of toothpaste which is so stupid but it just sounds like minty mental and I hate it yeah, I think of Mentos, Mentos, or mm. however you say it, the mint. Anyway, um, yeah, after years of, of getting to know different people, um, you can always tell, or you can kind of tell who's going to just disappear. Because often I'll, like, say, well, you need to do this, that, and the other to get you on your way. And you can see in someone's eyes that they're like, oh, I thought, like, you could just do this for me, or it'd be, I'd be an overnight success, or I could get a job tomorrow, and, you, and I just know I'll never hear from them again because they didn't like what I said. Um, but yeah, I think to expect something instantly is unrealistic. Um, I'm really tempted to tell a story about a mentee that I had who turned out to be a weird stalker, but I don't think we've really got time for that. Well, I was just going to say, are there any examples that you have of mentee, mentor gone wrong? And I wondered if you would want to tell that story, but it is quite a good story. And people have a good story. I mean, really quickly, she didn't live in London and she rented an Airbnb um, in where I live. And I bumped into her on the high street and was like, what are you doing here? And she said, oh, I rented an Airbnb so that I could see what it was like to live like you. Um, and that was just one of many weird things that happened in our time together. And I had to shut it down for obvious reasons. It was yeah. really odd. I can remember there was another event that we all went to and it was after you'd shut it down and she was there. I don't even remember what that event was. I remember us being... Yeah. I don't remember. I remember being on like seats that were steps and then being like, oh my God, she's there. I don't what I don't know what event. I remember I, well I think I remember I think it was when Dave Trott was speaking at Contagious and yes, we got yeah, there because yeah. we're idiots and yeah. we were standing at the back and she was on a chair like towards the back and I was like oh my god and we could tell by her body language that she had seen me and obviously felt really awkward too but yeah it was like just another thing that she turned up to um but yeah, it's so weird. So yeah, don't don't be that kind of mentee. That that would be handy for me. It's kind of like a basic, like how not to be a mentee is like don't be a stalker as well. But maybe it's not that obvious because I feel like, oh wow, I love that. Sylvia also was at the event, but you didn't stay. Well, that's good, Sylvia. I'm glad you didn't stay at the Airbnb that was close to Vicky's house. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I yeah I remember that so vividly because I also remember that it made you stop mentoring people for like a year and I remember being like it's such a loss to other people and to you because you get stuff out of it as well to not to have been put off by one person um 
So. Yeah, so I don't know if I talked enough about what I get out of it. Um, I get the opportunity to hang out with really cool, fun people who teach me things that I wouldn't know. So, like, you're younger than me. Carolyn is a million years younger than me. You know, it's different worlds. And so it, it's of benefit to me, too. Um, you know, with Carolyn, she's always saying, um, she's always explaining, like, how Gen Z people, because she runs a Gen Z community, for anyone who doesn't know, um, she's always explaining how Gen Z people react to things. And now I just send her stuff, and I'm like, I don't understand yeah. this Gen Z thing. Yeah. What does it mean? And I hope <laughs> that she'll sort, sort it out for me. So, yeah, it's definitely a two-way street. And I think anybody that runs a mentorship relationship that isn't two-way probably isn't a good mentor, because... Um, it should all be open and I feel like you and I could talk about our our, our mentoring relationship um, for the rest of the time because we have so many fun stories of how we've helped each other but also how we like had fun going out together like Emily I'm going to just tell one more story and this is not by the way this is not me saying this is how to be the perfect mentee this is just being friends with Emily because we are friends now um, Emily and I went out for lunch um once and she I didn't know but she told the waiter that it was both of our joint birthdays and that we never see each other and um um yeah it was a time to celebrate and so yeah before I knew it this guy had brought out free wine and a whole dessert plate that said happy birthday on it and I was looking at her and she could obviously see in my face I was like what and she was like go go with yes thank you thank you thank you yes happy birthday to us and I was like what is she doing anyway she's great and I think if so, you know Emily more, you've signed people, up to more people need to do this because if you just tell a restaurant that it's your birthday they will give you something fun and I don't understand why more people don't do it because there is always something to celebrate and in my defense I had already worked out that the dinner we were going to was exactly in between both of our birthdays so I was like oh well it's obviously our shared birthday to celebrate so we that was important I don't know if people joined this call for tips like what crisps we like and how to get freebies in restaurants, but hey, I hope hope it's working out for everyone. <laughs> I remember there being a sparkler and that actually being the embarrassing thing. Yeah, I've got a gorgeous picture of it all. It was yeah. great. It was great. Um, okay, right. Let's talk about things that are actually useful to people, although... People seem to be loving it in the chat. It's firing off, so that is great. I Something I, I really want to talk about was, um, and I know you and I have both experienced this together, not separately, but the same thing. And I think it's such a common thing that happens when you are a copywriter. And I think that when, when you're a copywriter, there's not much you can do with being a copywriter, right? You've become, if you're an agency, you may be a junior, then a midway, and then a senior. And then the natural thing then is, Oh, are you copy lead, depending on where you are? Are you copy head of copy? Are you copy director? And these things feel way more formal and like they have a path to progress as being a more senior, more experienced copywriter, especially more agency side. And less so when you're in-house. If you're in-house, which has been the most of my career has been in-house, you are pretty much the only copywriter unless you're part of a big team. It can be quite lonely and you're the only person fighting for words and everyone else is like but the numbers and then you're like but the words make the numbers and then no one gets it and you're like fine <laughs> but I think something that would be really useful for us to delve into is the danger of shiny job titles I think we both have very similar stories but I think people would definitely love to hear yours of what you think 
is a mistake or something to do when you are a copywriter and you get to spend your days obsessing over words, correcting people that it shouldn't be an M dash and it should be an N dash. Oh, this should be this and obsessing over those things. What happens when the only progressive route is to then become head of copy? And what does that job look like compared to what you think it's going to look like? Um, okay, so I only ever wanted, once I knew what a copywriter was, I only ever wanted to be one. And then when I became one, obviously my sights were set on being more, being more senior, getting that title, having more respect, earning more money, being bossy um and in charge of things and everyone listening to me and and everyone letting me write the copy that I want and never questioning it that that doesn't happen um not a real on, <laughs> no on the shiny job title so I I did go up and up and up and I became head of copy at a couple of places and um uh, the first time was at Sky and I loved my job at Sky. I mean, I love TV. What's not to like about writing about TV um, at one of the biggest entertainment brands in Europe. Um, and head of copy at Sky was one hell of a sexy job title in my opinion. And uh, as much as I loved my job and I did love being in meetings all the time and because I'm really nosy, I liked knowing what was happening and what was coming up and, um, hearing all sorts of things about the business I also didn't like it because I was in meetings all day and I wasn't writing anything and like I said I only ever wanted to be a copywriter and if you're a copywriter and you can't write then you're not a copywriter um so I reluctantly left really reluctantly left because it just wasn't what I wanted unfortunately um I got lucky I had no plan I, I went freelance it was never my intention in my whole career path it was just not something that occurred to me that I would do but I went freelance and um Sky asked if they could become my first client so I ended up having the job that I wanted I was writing more and I was in meetings less um so that was brilliant but because I had no intention of freelancing I wasn't prepared for it and I hated it I freaked out like I just couldn't get on board with the not knowing when the next job or the next um, invoice was coming and they they were always coming they always come for anyone that's on the call and wondering like you might have to be patient but it always comes anyway um in my freaking out I was offered the head of copy position at Expedia and as much as I love tv I love to travel as well um and so I took it because I thought well this is the answer and within three weeks I knew I'd made a mistake because I was in meetings all day every day again and just about like um, how the business was running, how the team was running, people's sick days, people's salary, people's performance reviews. And I'm just not like that. That's just not something I'm good at or interested in. And also like, I just, um, I don't like hierarchy and I don't like people being treated like children. Like if you want to take a day off, just take a day off. If you're sick, please go and get better. If you want to go on holiday, go on holiday. Like if you don't do your job, then you'll obviously lose it. But I'm not here to tell everybody what to do. Um, and also like you, I can't do numbers. So there's no point me being in a meeting about forecasts and what it, I can't even give you an example of what I mean because I don't understand it. Um, so I left again. So yeah, I guess in answer to your question, getting more senior 
and earning more money and having that job title is all fun and games until you realize it's not the job that you want anymore. That's not going to be the case for everyone. Lots of people do want to get out of the creative area and move more into a business side of things. But I think true creatives, typically, this isn't um, unique to you or I, but I think true creatives typically struggle with the non-creative side of the job. Definitely. I think there is a real art form to being a commercial creative. And I think that because I have worked at more startups where you have no choice but to be commercial because you're living and breathing numbers all the time, especially in like a subscription startup where you normally have like a TV on the wall and it tells you like what the daily cost per acquisition is and what the sign up number is and what the gross margin of the business is. And you have to become so comfortable with those numbers. And now now I am which is kind of like, sometimes I'm like, well, I don't know how I know what that acronym is, but I do. Um, <laughs> it's really hard. And, and you see creatives struggle with it. I like have managed like quite a few people who really just aren't interested in it and it's not how their brain works. And then what I get really frustrated at is people who are higher up than me saying, well, if they can't get on board with that, then, you know, have we got a performance issue? And I'm like, no, like not everyone can be good at everything and that's fine. And you just, I think, when you're in those roles, it's your job to create a climate for all kinds of people to thrive and do the one thing well that they actually are supposed to be there. So you can't ask anyone to do everything. But it's very hard to be that person who is like the gatekeeper to creativity because it's always under attack across the business. Always. Yeah. So on that point, should we talk about um, fighting for copy in an environment where you might be the only copywriter? Always. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you... do do I want it? Do you want it? Do I want it? You go. You go. You're the guest. Come on. I'm boring. Again, you're an idiot. Um, I won't have that kind of talk on my watch. It's not even true. Um, my watch. So my watch. <laughs> I'm allowed. Um. Yeah. So it, it's um. It's tough. It could be crushing. Uh, to always be fighting because firstly like I don't know about anybody else but I'm a bit like uh, and by the way I do work for myself now and and, and I'm on board with them um, you know doing all the the freelancing stuff and um, I just I have an accountant who deals with all the numbers things that I don't understand and the business things that I don't understand um, but yeah um, when I was employed uh, full-time and wasn't respected as a copywriter I'd be a bit like why am I here <laughs> why would you fill this position if you're not going to allow the person who can do the job to do the job like I remember sitting in um, one company where the marketing director and the brand manager were having a conversation right in front of my desk working out what copy they were going to put in an ad and I was like I'm right here <laughs> I could do it for you um so yeah, I think you have to be strong and tough and believe in yourself and believe in the value of the craft that you are skilled in. And then um, just be hardy and prepared to argue. I mean, it sounds like a ridiculous way to spend a day and it is, it is a ridiculous way to spend a day. Um, but yeah, find the energy um, and uh, present I, I often say this and I know it's really dramatic but pretend you're a lawyer um, and you've got to present your case in the court of law because no one will listen to you if you're just going to go 
we, I need to write that because I'm the copywriter. Like if you're fighting a losing battle, then I think the only way to try and win it is to present the evidence um, for the case for copy. And my way of doing that is hearing what, in my case now, the client would want to say, um, so the client could be your boss um, or whoever it is that's taking it upon themselves to write copy when they really can't. I stop myself from swearing. Um, I don't usually. Um, um, no, I did a talk last week and I swore, well, I swore fuckloads, to be honest. And uh, uh, I'm trying not to do that again because it's just, um, it's not big and it's not clever. Um, Yes, so the whoever it is has written some copy and it's awful, it's always awful, um, and you know that you can do a better job. So I think the only way that you can win in those situations is to write what you think would be better and present it side by side and hope that they see the difference. And I'll be honest with you, they won't always see the difference. Um, and so you won't lose, the, uh, sorry, you won't win, but at least you know you've tried. Um, and, and that goes somewhere to helping you feel better about the situation that you're in. I mean, it, yeah, I, I can't um, tell you that it's always gonna be an easy ride because it's not, it doesn't make sense. It should be an easy ride, but that's just the way it is, unfortunately, because everyone thinks that they can write and everyone can write, but not everyone can write copy. There's a difference, but some people don't respect the difference either. Like I did work somewhere where um, I can't remember, some internal comms person had written a full page press ad and brought it to me really pleased with themselves and said, what do you think? And I read it and I thought she's really into this. So I'm going to have to dazzle her with technical chat. Um and so I said things like, well, your first paragraph is in the present tense and your second paragraph is in the past tense. And then you go into the future. So I'm spinning around a bit here. Um, and also, and I mentioned some grammar points, which I can't remember now, grammar and punctuation. And she just looked at me and said, oh, I still think it's OK, though. And I thought, well, there's nothing more I can do here. And I reckon she just clearly wanted to write a press out. So I thought, go for it. On your head, be it. Oh my god! I feel like I like I'm thinking back as we were talking, just remembering all these moments where I've like said had like arguments with marketing directors where I've gone, I'm not actually just on this payroll for a laugh. I'd love to just be a personality hire. I'd love to just come here and entertain people all day and just have a massive laugh. But like, I actually exist here because I'm supposed to be writing copy. I'm the only person who is employed and paid to think about words all day. And now you've just had five minutes between meetings to come up with this opinion and rewrite this tweet or rewrite this caption or rewrite this email. And you think that that makes you more experienced. It makes me so fucking angry. It makes me so cross. I'm like, why have you hired me? If you if you can fix all these things, why don't you just do the job? I would love to just sit here and have a laugh with my work friends. That would be so great. But people just don't. And it's so difficult. And some of the people that I managed like in my last job found it so difficult because they were quite junior and it was quite like a toxic environment with a bunch of narcissists who just always wanted to get their own way and they'd be like I can remember one of them saying I, I'm not a copywriter but I do know copy when I see it and I was like oh that's a red flag isn't it that's not that's not good how do we how do we navigate that and one of the things I used to say to one of the guys I managed was when you were doing like your maths GCSEs and the maths question would ask you to show your workings out, when you write a piece of copy, have your workings out in your head so that when someone inevitably challenges you on it and they're like, I don't like this word, I don't like this. I had a CEO once be like, 
hey, I think we should change our tone of voice because my fiance's mother doesn't like the word gang. And I was like, oh my okay, God. I said I wasn't going to swear, but fuck off your fiance's mother. Oh, can you even? I was like, oh, right. I'm sorry. I forgot that your future mother in law was in responsible for copy here. Like, I, ridiculous. But yeah. if you are always armed with your workings out in your head to justify why you wrote what you wrote and why that will have a positive impact on the customer, I feel like sometimes it's bulletproof and you can always tell which people just want to say it because they wanted to just like dip their pen in the sentence that you wrote but yeah I think that's great advice and it's made me think of two other things and one is um if people don't know there's an organization called system one they're really they're posting loads on LinkedIn at the moment um and they're, they're sharing the results of adverts and it shows where there's been a spike of interest by the audience or where emotion has been peaked or increased uh, as a reaction to whatever point in the ad is. And I think things like that are really useful um, to present back to a client. So, you you know, you're not saying, well, I, I've written in this emotion to indulge my own inner author wannabe um there is actually a reason for why i've written this in this way so yeah i always say dazzle them with science and um hope for the best um and another thing that i've done because you can often tell when you're gonna have to um uh fight a bit more than you would in other situations um often when i write tone of voice guidelines um, I always say the copywriters don't need tone of voice guidelines. If you tell a copywriter what a tone of voice is, they know how to execute it. Guidelines are probably mostly for the non-copywriters to understand. And sometimes when I really think they're not going to get it, I will colour code them. And it's kind of fun and nerdy to do that too. Um, but then you can you know, get, do one sentence in one colour and then that relates back to a principle. So people really see what you're explaining to them. And, and um, I think that helps them along. By the way, that's something you and I didn't know about each other, the entertainment angle. I often say, like, I'm not here to as an entertainer. Does, why does everyone think, oh, she's so funny. She's so funny with her way with words. And, yeah. oh, she's always talking about adverts and cop. No, that's my job, you idiots. Not no novelty clown, just to sit <laughs> there to be like, yeah, who wants to talk about an ad? Yeah, or like, oh, here she goes again, banging on about copy. Well, who else is going to if I oh. don't? my literal job stop yeah yeah people oh. think it's like fanny about in word docs all day just being like dee, 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 dee. i'm so i'm so silly i've just written a pun <laughs> yeah but so then i get book. like oh you're gonna write a book like no i'm a copywriter i want to write copies just let me do my job leave me alone something i get a lot is like hey so i've written this email can you just judge it up and i'm like no no or, or when they go, we've got the creative, we just need some words. Yeah. Well, the words are the creative bit too, but thanks for the... Um, mm. And something um, else, I'm, we're going to stop bashing people in a minute, but the thing that I hate so much and I hear it all the time is, oh, but nobody will read the words anyway. And I'm like, okay, well, why did you rewrite it then? If they're not going to read it, why did you spend time rewriting it? That's just so silly. When so people silly. say to me, is it do you think it's true that no one reads copy I'm like of course it is there are more words in the world now than there have been like I mean you can't walk down the street without bumping into somebody because they're reading something on their phone everyone is reading something all the time and even more so since Covid when 
you know, quite a few companies had to close down and then rely on direct marketing and social media to communicate with the customers that they would have spoken to in store. Um, so, oh, guess what makes up that communication? Well, it's words and you need a copywriter to make those words work. So, um, yeah, pay attention to your copywriter or even hire one in the first place would be handy. Um, and that, by the way, that just feeds into whenever I speak to anyone who wants to be a copywriter or is a copywriter and is struggling for work, I would say if you can just be patient because there, I mean, there are literally millions of companies in the world that need to talk and they'll need a copywriter to do that well. Yeah. I wanted to, that leads me really nicely on to this next question, which I think is the last topic to talk about before we open up for a little q and um, I wanted to talk about freelancing. So you've obviously been a, a freelancer for a really, really long time. I have freelanced in between jobs for various stints, but mainly been in-house and I've freelanced alongside other jobs. Um, and I think that there are a lot of people right now, like there's obviously somebody on the chat who's just quit a job inspiringly and amazingly ready to do whatever's next with a blank page, which is so exciting. By the way, this is like a really powerful moment in your life. So just embrace it and it'll be really, every, any move that you make now is going to be so exciting and I'm really excited for you. Um, I just wanted to talk about some of the dangers of freelancing in terms of that constant worry, like you said, even yourself, like between Sky and Expedia, that like feeling uncomfortable in the discomfort before it becomes comfortable because it's not what you know. And I also think that I, a question that I get asked a lot is, okay, but how do you even find clients? Like, how do you find clients? So when, whenever I have freelanced, I have only ever got clients from making a list of brands that I really love. I have a list of desert island brands and then being like, okay, I, I want to, I want to write for that brand. I'm going to work out who is the person who's most likely to be responsible for copy on LinkedIn. And I'm going to introduce myself to them, but not in like a, Hey, you got any jobs? Like not in that way. But in intro, introduce yourself, talk about your specialism, do a little bit of research on the brand and be like, oh, I noticed that you've got this big campaign. Do you have any CRM that needs to be written alongside that? And that is the only way that I've ever had freelance gigs other than if it's word of mouth from people that I've worked from before who've moved on to other brands that are like, hey, do you have any free time to write our Christmas campaign? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I, I can figure it out. Let's do that. Um, but I wanted to specifically talk about um, the fear of work running out, which is definitely a really frightening part of freelancing that I think puts people off when they first start doing it. So do you want to talk about your experience of that? Um, I don't want to be unhelpful. I can talk about the fear. I have plenty of fear and have had, I've got better at it all, um, probably only in the last three years. And I've been working for myself now for 10, I think. Um, but I always think I'm not very helpful with the how to get work because I am really lucky to have not wanted any, it's all come to me. Um, and it's all been word of mouth. So whenever anyone's like, how do you get freelance work? I'm like, Oh God, I, I can't help you because like I say, I've just been so lucky, but I think, um, I think there are some learnings from my experience though. I don't think I would have been so lucky had I not worked for 16 years in different companies before going freelance. So I knew lots of people. So the word of mouth thing was easy. I'm already in on people's radars because I've stayed um, connected to them in whichever way. But I think also being 
good to work with is probably something to do with it. Like no one's going to come and give you work if you're rubbish. Um, but uh, sorry, I'm trying to be helpful, but thinking that I'm not because I don't have basically fear of waiting for a job, whether one's going to come and land in your lap or not is horrible. Um, I spent the first six months of my freelancing experience crying. Um, and just being petrified and there was no need for me to be and I've I've only recently stopped working in the way that I was I basically said yes to everything uh, because I was fearful that nothing would come even though it did um and I work seven days a week um all hours of all days this is not advice this is just me telling you what I did I tripled my salary from the one I had when I was working full-time and well I say full-time I was working more full-time as a freelancer um and whilst that worked for a bit for me because it secured me for a while um it, it's not sustainable and it's not um it's not healthy to work in that way but yes because we're fearful we do do that to ourselves this year is the first year in 10 years that I've decided to work differently and take on one big project a month um, rather than just anything that's offered to me so that I'm always, you know, running around doing little things and not really focusing or concentrating on anything fully. And it's been brilliant. And I've had loads of time to myself. And that time is really important um, between jobs because it means I have time to rest and learn something else or catch up with people all things that will feed your creativity and things that will nourish you and revive you into your next job so you can go and perform all over again in the capacity that you have to I think that's such I think if I was going to go freelance now that is how I would approach it but I what I have struggled with so much is whenever anybody asks me if I'm free can I do it and especially if it's a brand that I really love I would just say yes and I'll be like, yeah, of course. Oh my God, of course I want to work for this brand. Oh my God, of course I want to write for you. And then like getting myself into a situation where I either has to go, where I either have to go, I'm so sorry. I actually don't have capacity to do this. I thought I did. I'm really sorry. I let people down, which I hate. And that makes me mortified to admit that I have done that before. But it's like this well-intentioned to the start and thinking of this like fear of running out, like FORO, where you're like, this is the only chance, this is the only chance they're going to want me to do this thing. And then you're like, they're going to have more emails that need to be written. They're going to have more ads. If I, if you just up front were like, hey, I can't right now, but I will be free at this point. There's way more likely that they're going to be like, yeah, sure. Like it's not now or never. There is time to do those things. But if I was going freelance again, that's exactly how I would structure my time as well. One big project. Yeah, I think it's, unrealistic for clients to come at you and say can you write something by the start the end of the day like that's I mean sometimes there will be cases where that happens but realistically that's just not feasible so to be able to say oh, I can't this afternoon but I could by the end of next week or could we book this in for in a month's time or whatever even if they say no on that occasion they then know like oh yeah I should I should actually pull myself together and um schedule this properly yeah exactly I think it's just this sometimes when you're a freelancer you can feel just like so grateful just for a hint of work that you feel like you have to just do it and absolutely yeah. especially if it's an exciting opportunity that you don't want to let it go and that's fine if you do that a couple of times but yeah like value yourself and protect yourself as well um okay so we've got about five minutes left and I wanted to give people an opportunity to ask some questions 
I already have some um, that got sent to me on Substack on the subscriber chat um, from earlier. And one of those questions is, um, oh, this is such an interesting question. How one of the he's sent for one of them is what is the best writing snack? Obviously, crisps. Stupid question. Um, but the, this is a really interesting question that says, how do you know when something's finished? I don't understand the question. Like, how do you know when, I guess he's talking about, you can tinker and tinker and change and tweet oh. or an email or a, or a headline. Like, how do you get to the point where you go, yeah, I'm finished with that. I'm I'm done with that. I don't think you do. I don't think it's ever finished. I think you can work like crazy and do your best and be exhausted and then go to bed that night and wake up then and, and having sent it off thinking there's nothing else I can give and then you wake up the next day with oh my god I've got a better idea I've got a better line I could have I could have done that differently and in some cases I will go back to whoever and say sorry can we can I, I've slept on it um but in other cases it's just too late but save whatever that was because it will come in handy for something else another time and you yeah, you're never done you're never done but that's why the overnight test is important because sleeping on stuff always changes things definitely yeah i read rick rubin's book recently the creative act a way of being and in it he says something like um if you can leave space between a project because when you come back to it you'll be a different person and so you'll see it differently massively butchered whatever it was that he did actually say but that's the gist put that on a poster yeah. um i can i i just said, saw in the chat that Paul's answer to that question was when your boss's mother-in-law is happy. <laughs> Someone's listening. Yeah, 100%. Thanks, Paul, for taking notes. Um, I've got a question for Netsy. Um, Being a bit socially anxious, I struggle with initiating conversation in general, especially with potential mentors. Do you have any advice for someone like me who has that hurdle to get over? Yeah, find common ground. Or, I mean, flattery will get you everywhere. Um Find, when you contact a mentor, say they work at an ad agency that's just made a campaign that you love, um, just start talking about that. I saw that advert on TV, really love it because and give reasons. Um, and that's a good way in. Start talking about themselves if you're not comfortable talking about yourself. Um, and I always think just be interested, but also be interesting. Like, like with a job interview, it's not a two, it's not a one way thing where you're being interviewed. You you need to interview that person too. You need to know if that mentor is going to be the right mentor for you. You need to know if that job's going to be the right job for you. So, um, yeah, just remember that you are. This it's a fifty fifty thing, not a ninety ten. Why am I doing numbers? Because I don't know. Because I think you feel like you have to be a numbers person now. <laughs> um, I also would add to that and say. You can own it. I I would be very pro saying like, hey, like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm good at this stuff because then a, a person, the right person who's going to be help, be able to help you with that should be a person who's like super understanding of it. And I think being very open, I'm a very open person. I'm a chronic oversharer. But I think that sometimes preempting things like that, saying like, oh, by the way, like I'm just getting in touch because of this, but you know, I find myself it's a very human thing to do and people will relate to that as well and I think that will help you find someone who is probably the right person for you um well it's also why you want a mentor isn't it to yeah. help you so say you want help 
Um, question from Sylvia. Hi, Sylvia. Um, I'll soon become a line manager of a junior at work, plus I'm mentoring for the first time via Creative Foundation. Congrats. That's so exciting. I am aware of what makes me good at that, but also two risks, potentially micromanaging and coming across as more worried about things than I actually am and therefore transmitting this anxiety. Did you ever deal with these two things and how did you overcome them? So worry about micromanaging and coming across as more worried and transmitting anxiety. Something I learned as a um, tutor at an advertising school is it's actually really rewarding to watch the people that you're working with come up with something themselves and, and letting them work it out. And you're there to rescue them if they need it. But it's this, it's such a sense of achievement to know that you've kept quiet and not just told somebody how to do something. Um, but I think probably set guardrails from the beginning, like expectations as you would as a line manager anyway. And there are those horrible performance reviews and check-ins and things where you would just keep that person on track. So nothing would be a surprise when you, if you had positive or negative feedback to give. I also would say that there's, I read this article I, a long time ago, which was all about, um, it's like this analogy for business and managing and helping people solve problems. And it's called um, not taking someone's monkey. So basically like when someone comes to you with a problem and they're like, hi, um, I can't, like somebody's not happy with this line that I wrote and like I, it needs to be done and it needs to fix it. And what they want to do is like give you their monkey and the natural thing to do especially if you're like a people person is to go oh okay I'll take your monkey I'll, I'll fix it for you I'll fix that for you but being a manager is actually not taking people's monkeys but showing them how to get them off their own back anyway so and I think like some and whenever I have one-to-ones with people I'm like okay come to me with your problem and what you think is the best solution and I'll help you choose it and execute it but I can't come give do the solution for you and I have done when I was first managing I would just be like don't worry it's fine I'll do it for you I'll do it for you I'll do it for you but it that just delays other people's progression and it's harder for them to learn if they're not doing it themselves yeah I would go with the approach that it's a conversation not an instruction hmm. definitely um question from Helena um question about breaking into the field oh my god how exciting um, so cool to see so many copywriters here. I have quite a bit of writing experience in journalism and for different startups as a content writer. What would you recommend to get my foot in the door of copywriting? Well, you take that one because she said the magic word startups. Yep, she did. I am a startup girly through and through. I This is unhelpful, but what I, I would say, you're already a copywriter. You're already writing. I think you're already doing it. What you It sounds like what you need is a rebrand where you just go, I'm a copywriter, I'm writing copy. I would pull together all the examples of copy that you've got written. Also, I, people, brands want more editorial now. So if you then got another job as a content writer somewhere else, you could easily show home back into copy. But I would pull together your best examples that you've done in writing content, or pull them together into a copywriting portfolio, rebrand yourself as a copywriter, you're already doing it anyway. I think I think your foot is already in the door. It's just believing in yourself to go walk through it. That would be my. I opinion. agree. Say it, be it. But also, just on that note, um, and building on what you said, 
sometimes we need to have a number of different CVs and portfolios and one might be for your copywriter intentions and the other might be for your content writer. Um, if you treat anybody that you're going for a job with as your target audience, like you were writing an ad, you know, you have to tailor the message to your audience. So tailor your portfolio or your CV to that audience. Yeah. Also, you're writing for a reader already. That's what copywriting is, writing to a reader and talking directly to them. Um, and then I think we probably only have time for one more question, but I know this is one that you will definitely be able to answer, Vicky. I would, this is from Opal. I would love any advice you both have from someone who's come to focus on copy later in their career through creative and strategy eight years into my career. I get so much imposter syndrome as I've never actually in any formal way studied writing unless you count a GCSE A grade. Um, I don't count GCSEs uh, because copywriting is different to that kind of writing. Um, I've got really bad news and that is imposter syndrome never goes away, um, but it does get easier to deal with. Um, embrace that imposter syndrome. It means that you care. And if you didn't care, then you wouldn't do a good job. And if it's any help at all, I once asked an 83 year old at the time, he's not 83 now, he's older. Um, I once asked an 83 year old advertising legend if he got nervous and he said, of course, darling, I'd be dead otherwise. Or, you know, it shows that you're feeling something. And I was like, that's just the best answer because he was also a man. He is also a man. He's still alive. <laughs> um, and you don't think that many men or a man like that would have imposter syndrome. Um, so, yeah, embrace it. It means that you will do a better job. Um, and it also it, you'll get used to it. Like it's just something that comes. It's part of the process, unfortunately. Horrible, but it is. Um, I think that's pretty much all we have time for because we have run over by five minutes and I don't know about anyone else but I need to go and buy some crisps so I can eat them because we've been talking about that so much but thank you so much for everyone who joined this it is the first time that I've done this for Hurdling and I also had imposter syndrome and was super nervous about it but hopefully I hope that people got something out of this and we'll definitely do another one again. Now is a great time to actually say that Paul Hewitt, who is in this chat, is going to be my next person to come onto this. So that is really great. Um, and Vicky, thank you so much for being my first person. And thanks for donating all your time and insights to all these copywriters. It's so nice, actually, to hear so many people in the chat, like, just vibing about copywriting. And that it, I feel like if all these people keep being copywriting and go and do it everywhere else, then actually the state of the creative community isn't so bad after all well thank you for having me you know I'm a big fan of you and everything that you do I hope this was helpful to people because really it just felt like you and I were having a rambling chat like we normally do. <laughs> I, know. I know some some moments I was like oh shit there's people here oh my God. <laughs> stop yeah. talking about crisps yeah. right let's yeah. let everyone go Thank you so much. Yes, it will be a recording. I'm going to figure out how to put that onto Substack so it'll be available there for subscribers. Thank you so much, everyone. And thank you so much, Vicky. Bye, everyone. Thanks. <laughs>